Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders and help them build and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Leo Sabo, and I will be your host for today's conversation. On today's episode of Stewardship Leader, I'm joined by my friend, Chris Gillard, the pastor of Strategic Advancement at Saddleback Church in Orange County, California. Chris, welcome. Thanks, Leo. Good to have you. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Hopefully, our listeners will learn a little bit more about who you are and kind of what your roots are, how you got into this ministry and also learn from some of the wealth of experience that you've had over the years. So let's start with with your history. How did you get into stewardship ministry? Tell us the story about how God brought you into this full-time ministry role. Uh, well, thanks, Leo. First, thanks for having me here. It's great to be with you, and uh, we've been friends for a long time, and so it's fun to, to be able to share insights with each other and hopefully with some others that are listening today. Mm-hmm. My journey was one of just kind of personal growth that led to my involvement at my church uh, as, as an extension of that. and so what I would say is that God started getting my attention a through some really some messages. When I first moved out to California many years ago, uh, joined Saddleback church, started hearing pastor Rick Warren teaching about particularly things like tithing and stewardship and managing money and those kinds of things. And it really, I'd never heard financial messages in the church before that really kind of got my attention, started digging into it, did a Bible study actually on God's word and that was a deep challenge to me because I was in the financial services industry. On the one hand, uh, I was growing in Christ at the same time, and I had never really connected those two things together. And right. so what I realized was, as I was growing in my walk with Christ and he was dealing with me around my own personal stewardship, I was in the world really looking at things from a secular perspective. And it started challenging me that I didn't really know what God's word had to say about money. And then, you know, I found this guy, Howard Dayton, uh, who had written this book called Your Money Counts and started realizing there's 2,350 verses in the Bible about it and blah, blah, blah. So I, I, this big journey for me mm-hmm. was a personal one, first and foremost. And as that was happening, I had some friends who challenged me and said, you know, there are a lot of people that ask you financial questions. So you're seen as somebody who's very knowledgeable in that area. Why don't you set up a ministry and help people with that at the church? And I sort of thought, well, I, I didn't know that, that you could do that. I didn't, know that you know, I didn't know that was a thing that happened at churches. And they said, well, I, I don't know if it is or not, but why, why don't we see if that can happen? So anyway, long and short of it was I connected with some of the executive pastors at Saddleback, and eventually that led to me kind of building up some more Bible studies uh, around biblical stewardship, but also launching our financial coaching ministry as a separate ministry to really guide people and coach people specifically and individually uh, around biblical stewardship and managing money and that kind of thing. I started teaching a bunch of classes. So it just sort of happened organically. And as I had time between business travel and that kind of stuff, eventually our senior executive pastor called me to his office one day and asked me to write a job description, said we were going to considering hiring somebody. And at the end of that process, he asked me to actually take the job. So it was kind of one of those things. That, <laughs> write your own job description, right? <laughs> yeah, it was sort of like uh, I did get literally get to write my own job description. And people have said to me, boy, that must have been a really tough decision to come out of the business world and and come into the church world because it's a huge shift in your life. Yeah. And what I would say is it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, it it was a huge shift certainly in a lot of 
things from, you know, professionally, financially, my relationship with my wife. I mean, a lot of things shifted as a result of that. Sure. But at the time, it was actually a very simple decision. And that was, I knew, I should say, my wife and I both knew unequivocally that God was calling us into ministry. Mm-hmm. And my decision was, am I going to say yes to God or am I going to say no to God? That's right. So right. at that point, it was really simple. And so, you know, maybe just because I'm thick-headed enough that God needed to make it really clear to me. Um, <laughs> and I'm, gla- I'm grateful that he did. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, it's been just a complete joy. And now I've been on staff 15 years uh, and it's been just an incredible journey. Wow. Well, I think the thing that resonates with me about your story is so many of the milestones that you went through, I went through. And, and I would venture to say that probably many of the people that are in full-time stewardship ministry right now have walked a similar path. You know, there was a personal revelation and then God somehow convinced us that we need to take this knowledge and share it with others. And then before we know it, we're entrenched in the ministry, actually doing it. And then somebody says, well, since you're here all the time, why don't you just take the full-time job and do it, <laughs> do it more successfully because you'll have more time and you can fo- focus fully on it. And that, that's my story as well. So I love the way God does that. And I'm also not surprised, but in a way kind of tickled that God brings people like you and me, not seminary graduates, not PhD, you know, theology uh, experts, but just people in the marketplace that have this passion and understand the connection that it has to the heart of God and to our own spiritual makeup and and growth. So I love the fact that you said yes, because (laughs) I had the same similar decision to make. And it wasn't just mine. It was our, just as you said, you and your your wife had to make that decision together. And we did the same. It's the best decision I think I, I made, one of the best decisions I made, obviously, marrying my wife was probably the best, uh, outside of, of course, uh, knowing Christ. But it has been an amazing journey. And I'm so grateful that you're in the space because you truly are one of the veterans of the ministry. 15 years on staff doing stewardship is remarkable in, in, a, in a ministry that hasn't really been around for that long. So let's dive into a little bit of that journey that you took at Settleback. Tell me about the experience you gained. What are some of the first things that you thought about as you started building this ministry? I know you started somewhat before you actually started the full-time job, but as you were building it, whether it was before or after you actually went into full-time ministry, what was the initial thoughts? Like, how do I do this? Were there some people that you reached out to, some people that you were asking, hey, how do I do this? Share that experience. What was that like and, and some details about how you got it started? Oh, boy, looking back at that, it's interesting just to think about how much I didn't know. First of all, starting the financial coaching ministry as a volunteer, I literally started with a blank slate, just sort of thinking, what do our people need? And how can I help meet that need and help them, you know, wherever they are kind of a thing. It literally hadn't occurred to me that there might be somebody else out there doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. I wasn't aware of any other financial coaching ministries at that time at all. I was aware that there were some things happening you know, Bible studies, things like that. But I really wasn't aware of any church that had a full, you know, built out financial coaching ministry like I was trying to build. So I had this kind of thought or vision around that. And I actually got a lot of help internally from other people who were doing other ministries. So I got actually a lot of help from our church, from people that weren't doing financial ministry per se. But the guy that was running our counseling ministry helped me to figure out how to structure a ministry, working with people one-on-one, what safeguards to put around that. There was a lot of things that I learned internally from that kind of a thing. That's great. Um, Once I came on staff a few years later, which is now 15 years ago, as I said, that was interesting because right away there was one of our executive pastors who told me, hey, there's this group of people that I've heard about called the Christian Stewardship Network. You know, you need to connect with them because some of these folks are already doing some of the things that you're trying to do. And I 
thought, oh, great, this is terrific. So that's how I first connected into CSN 15 years ago. I think I came to the third forum that ever existed. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of my start into CSN. At that point, what I found was there are other people. Now, there weren't that many at the time. 15 years ago, there, there literally were only about 15 people at that forum. As right. you know, now we have over 100 people every year and that kind of thing. But it was interesting to me to see how there were all these churches involved. And some were small churches from rural communities or smaller towns anyway. Some were suburban churches. Some were urban churches, kind of all different denominations and so forth. And everybody had a different way of doing things. So it became very clear to me that there was not just one way to do stewardship ministry. Just like if you look at youth ministries across the country, there are many, many different ways to do it. The difference is in youth ministry, there are a bazillion people you can ask because there's lots of models. Every church has one, you know. Right. And at this point, there were no stewardship ministries. Christian Stewardship Network was really my lifeline to, to learn. And of course, now that's become much more robust. And there's a lot of great people to learn from all around the country through the network. But that was sort of like me just sort of figuring things out. And there's a lot of lessons I learned that I think I would do. You know, and you look back and you think, man, if I only knew that, it would have really helped me do things a lot quicker or I would have been much more effective. And so we can talk about some of those kind of things if you'd like. But that's kind of how I started building it was, was I hate to say it, but it was almost like I just had to figure it out on my own. Yeah. Yeah. Early on, I think that was the case for me, too. I came into it in 2006, so a few years after you. But still, I didn't know a lot of people outside of the DFW area. I knew a few. Uh, I only knew one person, you know, Gunnar Johnson, that was on staff full-time as a stewardship pastor. Everyone else, I mean, even Gateway Church, a large church now, back then it was only about four or 5,000 people. Even they said, who does this? And the only person they could find in the, the DFW area was Gunnar. He was really the only stewardship pastor that we knew of. I'm not saying he was the only one, but it's the only one that was really connected with other people and physically trying to help other churches start stewardship ministry. I remember we had a, what we called a, a Crown City team because Crown Financial Ministries was pretty big back then. It was in every mm -hmm. church or in a lot of churches. And we had a Crown City team. And the purpose of that was to try to get Crown into more churches. So they had local area directors that were part of this group of people that would get together once a month. But it was such a small group. We're talking half a dozen to a dozen people at the most. And it was really hard to figure out how do I do this because there's no script for it. And that's why I'm so grateful for CSN, because there's so many people today that are part of this ministry and that have come over the last 10, 15 years that are now creating their own model, so to speak, and, and dealing with uh, the changing aspect of the stewardship ministry and the changing aspect of the church, you know, from single side to multi-side to all kinds of challenges. And they're solving those problems and then coming to the table and saying, here's how I solved it. And I think that's the benefit of having CSN is that it helps us to rub shoulders with other people that are also doing this and we can learn and as you said we're learning faster than trying to do things in an trial and error kind of way so i'm grateful that that we have that so share a couple of situations that you learned early on from that group of 15 or so people that helped you to change something and help you to maybe you know bypass years of of trial and error those are the golden things that i think are people that are starting new in the ministry would really benefit from two or three things that you want to share whatever you think is most valuable of what you would do different maybe mm. or, or that you learned early on that you were able to do and avoid some of the mistakes uh sure i'll pick a couple of things one is i think most churches start with a particular program and, and that could be crown it could be uh fpu dave ramsey's class it could be a particular good sense or a particular program that they've used at their church for a number of years and they just sort of have a program and sometimes the church looks at that and says hey we've got this stewardship ministry because we have this class we do periodically 
Mm -hmm. um, at Saddleback, we had these crown studies that we were doing, which were great. We had a leadership team that was doing really well with that that I got involved with, and that was part of that initial journey. And then I was asked really to start doing classes, even as a volunteer. What I would say is we weren't really very well coordinated on that. So it was almost like we, we had a program or a class that was happening. And then I started, started building things around that and doing other things, but there was no cohesive strategy to it. Mm. And I think, you know, if a church is really looking at it saying, this is something we want to build to start with at least some kind of high level perspective on what do we want to accomplish as a church. So in other words, I was a volunteer acting sort of on my own, in effect, you know, I had the authority of the church and was told, yeah, go ahead and do it. Right. But I was kind of on my own trying to build it. And, and I think one of the things, if you're an executive pastor listening to this or a lead pastor, I would say one of the key things is if you have a passionate, capable leader in your church that you think might be able to lead a stewardship ministry, the place to start is to really sit down and say, what do we want to do and who do we want to be as a church as it relates to stewardship? So instead of having a program, it's sort of like if we're going to talk about stewardship ministry as such, what do we want it to look like, you know, maybe down the road and how do we build it out? But, but even more importantly, who do we want to be? In other words, is this really going to be an intentional and significant part of our discipleship process? So as we're right. helping people to grow closer to Christ, is this, is this the kind of ministry that can really help us to disciple people and build disciples because if so, that's a very different thing than, hey, we're going to teach a budget class over here once in a while. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. not that that's a bad thing, but if you really want to develop a, a fully orbed stewardship ministry that will help people to grow as stewards in the kingdom, then I think it's worth having a bigger conversation than just having a little program. So all that to say, I think there was some intentionality around it. And eventually that came to more to fruition. When I was asked to come on staff, we started building a job description. We put more thought around it. And now there are some great models out there. So I think you, there are some patterns to really look at that I think can help that you don't have to start with completely a, a blank slate, so to speak. Um, so that's one thing is the idea of really thinking through, you know, who do, who do we want to be as a church and how do we want this to be part of our church culture and structure? The second thing I would say is, you know, a stewardship ministry, well, actually this is true of almost any ministry in the church that's really effective, has to be the ministry work has to be done by volunteers. So I think part of that is to think through how do I recruit, train, lead, build into, encourage volunteers and think about a volunteer structure that will really work to accomplish that which, you know, we've decided as a church that we really want to have. So I think that's a big significant part as well as having a process to do that. And that's probably true of any ministry. You know, the youth ministry is going to have a process. How do we how do we engage volunteers and all that kind of stuff? But I think in the stewardship ministry, we got to do the same thing. The assumption, unfortunately, that people make sometimes is, hey, we've got this local guy who's maybe he's a CPA or he's a, you know, a financial advisor or something. So he's the financial guy. So he must be the one that would be good at that. And I think that's, that can be a mistake. Well, that might be the right person. Oftentimes it's not. I think I'm unusual when I look around at all the financial or excuse me, all the stewardship pastors that I see around the country. I'm actually in a small minority in having been in the financial business before getting into this. Mm. The vast majority are people who come from totally different, I mean, all kinds of different backgrounds. Many are business people. Yeah. They can range anything from, you know, airline mechanics to finance directors to, I mean, you name it, but there are yep. all kinds of different backgrounds that are not specific to managing, you know, helping people manage individual finances. So right. really thinking about this is not a, it's not a ministry of just, accomplishing stuff and helping people do a budget or something like that. It's really not an education ministry. 
it's a ministry of discipleship and it's a ministry of influencing people in their walk with Christ. And if we look at it first and foremost that way, that should, should really undergird all the other things we're doing. And so to me, starting with those things in mind, and then I guess the third one that I would add is simply this, um, and this is one that I really did not get for a long time. There's a lot of talk now about emotional intelligence. 20 years ago, nobody was talking about that. So when I built the ministry, it was around, okay, we've got to help people on the practical side of things, but we've also got to help people understand the spiritual side of things. So we've got to make sure that people understand what does the Bible say and have scripture in it and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of like, you know, the, the practical and the spiritual have, had to be balanced out. And I used to say, we got to do both. Well, what I missed was it's not two things, it's three things. Mm. There's an emotional side of money as well. And how do we help people deal with the emotional aspects of managing their finances at the same time? And unfortunately, I learned the hard way that many times when I, as a, as a leader and my team of volunteers were helping people to learn how to manage their money, we felt like we were giving them all the tools we were giving them scripture and helping them understand why it's important and even why it matters to God and why it should matter to them. And then what we would find is a few months later, they would get right back off track again. We didn't understand why that was the case. In other words, gosh, we've given them the tools. They seem to agree that it's important, but they're still not doing it. And we couldn't understand why, what's the hang up here. And we didn't realize that people's emotional issues and you know, in some cases baggage, they could be bigger things, whatever, but uh, it could be trust issues, it could be identity issues, and any number of different spiritual issues that flow into emotional issues as well. Once we started dealing with that and really looking at people holistically, so we had to kind of have the, the mental, the spiritual, and the emotional aspects, if you will, and putting all those together, then we, we really figured out we were helping people in a much deeper way, and they were sticking to it. That created classes and our different ministries, uh, workshops, whatever we had going on, what we found is that, that the results were far, far better and, and more lasting when we did all those three things together. And that's one of those things that's important to understand as you're building things from the beginning. That's awesome. So I love the three things you shared because every single one of those I had to learn by doing wrong at first. And then eventually I realized something's wrong. It's not working to the best. So what you shared just as a recap, one is ministry. It's about building a ministry, not about running a program. Because as we said, programs have a shelf life. They run for a while. They may be good for your congregation for a while, but no program is going to satisfy every need of every person in your congregation. So building a ministry with multiple programs, multiple offerings will help you to reach that full 100% of your congregation and have a cultural impact. Second thing is having a volunteer-run ministry. Yes, it's led by maybe a staff or a lay leader, but it's ultimately the work is being done by volunteers thereby expanding the impact of the ministry, right? It's about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And that's what these stewardship leaders, that's what we're called to do is equip people to serve. And that's where the body is, is more functioning and more healthy because every person is helping another person. And then the third thing you talked about is the emotional intelligence part, that it's not just the practical and the biblical, which are important, but there's another side to it. Because just knowing the information and just knowing that it's in the Bible doesn't make it easy and doesn't make it doable. You have to meet people where they are. And I love that because this is exactly the things that I think every stewardship leader, as they get into the ministry, these are the challenges that they have to overcome. They have to build a ministry that is able to reach everyone in the congregation, every type of person, every gender, at every age group, at every season of life, and to do so with an army of people, right? You want to build a ministry that's culturally, it's what the church believes in and operates by. 
And you've certainly done that at Saddleback and have emulated that with every church and every connection you've ever made, even through, especially through CSN. I know this is something that's been part of your message, especially that emotional side. I know you have talked about you and your, your wife uh, writing something. I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to that book one of these days. Get it out <laughs> there, man. We need it. So let's go into a little bit more about some of the changes that you experienced at Saddleback. If there's anything true about ministry is that it's constantly changing. As a church changes and evolves, we as a ministry need to evolve and change so that we stay relevant, so that we stay effective. So tell me about some of the major things that you guys faced as a church, especially as you went from one campus to multiple campuses. Mm. How, how did that challenge of how do we continue to spread this message of stewardship across the DNA of the church in every aspect of it, in every location? How did you guys tackle that? What are some of the challenges and how did you solve them? Oh boy, that's a broad question. Because when you get to you know multi-site and that kind of stuff, uh, let me table that one a little bit because I want to kind of hit what might be a little bit more obvious in some senses is just the shifts in the last 20 years. You know, 20 years ago, as most churches had either like a Sunday school or a Wednesday night kind of a class or something like that, it was very easy to say, hey, let's build in a couple of financial classes during the course of the year and reach people that way. Now, as most churches, including, you know, Saddleback, many years ago, uh, before I came on staff, Pastor Rick said, you know, we're not going to do the Wednesday night, we're going to do the midweek anymore. Everybody needs to be in a small group. And And we moved from being a church that had small groups to a church of small groups. And mm, that's good. You no, know, we, we, I don't know how many churches are like this now. There's probably others, but I, you know, for many years now, we've, we've had more people in our small groups every week than actually attend church on the weekend. It's kind of a strange thing. That's um, kind of cool though. So we, yeah, it's very cool. Actually, we've become cool. a church of small groups. We really, we are. And so as like, for me at one point it was like, okay, I can't do midweek classes anymore. So now I've got to find another way to, to reach our people. Well, clearly it has to be through small groups. And we created, you know, a small group curriculum that was one of the ways we could do that. So I had to really think through how are we connecting with people? How does our church family operate? Because at that point, then it's a question of, okay, now what is my best way of reaching out to people and being able to help them to grow in stewardship themselves? So that's one example in, in, our, in our specific culture that I think other churches have gone through is the shift from, you know, the class concept to more small group based. doesn't mean you can't do classes. We still do classes here and, and regularly, but it's had a shift. And now as we go multi-site and that kind of stuff, the idea of expecting people to come to campus for everything is becoming harder and harder because now I have campuses all over the place and I can't run 20 classes at 20 different campuses at the same time necessarily. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? And so can we put things on video so we can have a volunteer that may not have the level of expertise or, or background that some others do uh, so we have a smaller campus, a campus pastor says, Hey, you know, I'd like to do something here. What options do I have for him, for example? So, mm-hmm. um, I think using technology is really important, whether that's video based, whether that's putting some things on the, on the website that, that people can access and do classes from home or, or maybe do as a small group or whatever it might be, or as a couple. So there's a lot of different things like that. And, and then also I would say shifting with other ministries. I think stewardship ministry needs to be embedded in other ministries in the church too. So like pastoral care is a, is a great example of that. When a young couple is coming in, they're going to get married. How do the financial ministry volunteers help out with the premarital counseling process? Because the premarital counselors really are not financial people. They're not trained to be stewardship ministry volunteers, right? So how do we embed some aspect of financial stewardship training into that premarital 
counseling process. And it's something that I work to do here specifically. How do I work with the youth, you know, whether that's the high school or college? Do we create classes for them? How can I help the women's ministry if there's a women's Bible studies or something I can do to help? And, you know, it varies from ministry to ministry and, you know, year to year, but kind of really proactively asking the other ministries, how can I work with you? How can I help you if you're trying to disciple people in the church? How can I come alongside you and help you in this particular area? That kind of thing. Again, pastoral care, divorce care. We've got a you know ministry that really comes alongside to support people that have been through a divorce. Well, a lot of times you have one spouse that handled the money, and after the divorce, the other spouse is kind of not knowing how to manage things, right? So how do we come alongside and, and help them? So that's just an example of that. But uh, over time, as the church grows and the church changes, this is one of those ministries that needs to be able to shift with not just the church as a whole, but specific individual ministries even within the church. So it requires a lot of flexibility in really thinking through how am I reaching people wherever they are. That's great. I mean, I think what I'm hearing you say, and really the kind of the, the nugget you're sharing is the adjustment of the ministry as it grew was to have the focus on making sure that everybody's being ministered to, that there's opportunities to partner up with other ministries, which is a great way, especially with an expanding large church. And having a strong groups culture gives you that insight to say, you know, there are resources that I'm sure you've developed even before that, that now people could use in those small groups to do a financial course, whether it's a Bible study, whether it's a practical thing. And so developing these programs and the content now, it's all about having that ability to just maximize it and put it in literally in any in front of anyone. And so there's no, there's not a facility problem and there's not a space problem, right? Because you're creating content that's now able to be offered in any format necessary to make sure that there's nothing in the way of the message you're getting out. And that's a key concept here to understand as you're building a stewardship and running a stewardship ministry is that as the church changes, in order to reach a broad group of your people, you have to find ways to make sure that that content is going to be able to be reached to every person. If you have a class that's one teacher that can, is the only one that can teach it, forget it. Uh, you're going to reach 20 to 30 people, maybe 100 in a year, and everybody else is not going to be ministered to. So I think it's a great insight that you just shared. It's about developing the ministry and making sure that you have foresight as to where you're going and how to continue to have that reach be broad to every person in the church. All right, so kind of as we close, we're, again, talking to stewardship leaders. The people that are listening to the podcast are obviously stewardship leaders, but there's also some executive type or senior leaders listening to this podcast. And I'd like for you, Chris, as a stewardship pastor who's been well-connected to your senior pastor and have had influence in the culture of the church, what would you say to both that stewardship pastor, but also to this leader about why stewardship ministry is so important in the mm. church? How would you impart to them the need for them to really look at this, uh, not just logically, but spiritually? Because you said this is about discipleship, and I know yeah. no pastor that doesn't care about discipleship. So share from your heart, what is it that you would want them to know about stewardship ministry? I guess I would start by saying that I don't think you can have an effective and mature discipleship process in the church without stewardship being a significant component of it. I may have said something like that earlier. Let me just bring it down to the individual level. You cannot be a mature disciple of Christ and not get the, the financial stewardship piece right as part of that. Doesn't mean you can't be a Christian. Doesn't mean you can't love Jesus. I'm not saying that. Okay. Right. right. So <laughs> just to be clear. Yeah. But stewardship is, Jesus talked a lot about money, I think, because he got this. He got that the idea that in our culture, 
today as much as even more so maybe than it was 2000 years ago, but in his time as well, money was a great barrier between people and God. And I think it's probably the single greatest barrier, maybe the most difficult barrier to deal with in our culture today that keeps people from really connecting with Jesus. And it affects evangelism. So how we reach out to our community, how we pull people into the church, it affects how we disciple people within the church. If you're a pastor and you're thinking, hey, well, you know, this is a ministry that, okay, really what it's going to do, it's important because it's going to help me meet my budget, or it's important because it's going to help me raise some more money for the church and all that. I guess what I would say is it does do that. It absolutely will. But that is actually the wrong direction to be pointing in the beginning. You're putting the cart before the horse at that point. If we build it as a discipleship ministry and pour into people and help people to think about and, and to see that this is something that the church wants for you and for your walk with Christ, and we're going to build this stewardship slash generosity ministry to help people grow in their stewardship and generosity. And as they grow, they learn stewardship, they learn generosity, mm-hmm. which as I learned from Robert Morris is there are two sides to one coin. They go together. You can't have one without the other effectively. Right. So if we're going to really do that and, and disciple people, you will absolutely, when you have mature disciples who get this, generosity will, will be unleashed in the church. It will help grow the church and ultimately drive the growth of the kingdom. So if you're a lead pastor, executive pastor, and you're thinking about this ministry, this might help me kind of build a building or hit a budget or something like that. There's nothing wrong with that thinking on some level, but you're just missing part of the picture in that it will do those things, but the the generosity is a fruit of the ministry, not the purpose of the ministry. And Mm, and I think we've got to really get those things straight. Right. That's good. That's good. That's really well put. Because it is about discipleship. And when discipleship is done well, then every ministry flourishes because every person in the body is growing and healthy and operating to their design. So that's awesome. All right. Well, any parting thoughts before we close this episode? The only other thing I would say is, again, this is for maybe the senior leaders that are listening, those that are teaching pastors. I am super blessed to actually serve with Rick Warren because he lives out stewardship and I watch it every day. He is Mm -hmm. one of the most generous people I've ever met. He's just amazing that way. And the thing that's neat is our church sees that. And as the senior leader, if that's an area for growth for you, it's okay to share that with the church and be, you know, be transparent, letting them know it's an area you're growing. But if it's something that you really care about and and you are generous in your own life, don't hide that. Let your church see that because that's one of those things that will really inspire your church. And so what you can really lead from the front. And to me, one of the, when we're talking about shifting culture, Pastor Rick actually views himself as the stewardship pastor here in some senses. And, you know, and, and it's actually said, like, my job is actually to, to really help people understand this because he knows he's in a unique position when he's preaching on the weekend that he can reach many people that I, that I can't. He, he, he touches everybody where I only can touch certain people, maybe that are coming to a program or a class or something like that, where he can touch everybody. So the senior leader and the senior pastor absolutely is crucial to having a stewardship ministry flourish because they can support it both verbally and personally as people see you live it out. So I would just say personally, if you can think about it that way, then people are watching you, they care about you, they care how you lead, and this is a very important part of your leadership. And when you do that, that is one of the strong components that you could have to launch a stewardship ministry from there. That's awesome, that's great stuff. Thank you, Chris. I always learn something when I'm talking to you, whenever I'm having a conversation with you, Uh, That certainly has been the case today. And I know you've added some tremendous value to our listeners today. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Appreciate you very much, my friend. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks, Leo.
Well, thank you for joining us for the Stewardship Leader Podcast. Until next time, remember, God has called you to be the best steward you can be. But I'd like you to go a little further. Be that faithful steward, but also teach someone else to do the same. We'll see you next time.